continue our series in Salt and Light, to be salt and light where we're engaged and influential or need to be engaged and influential. Well, it's come down to, it looks like uh, this week has been an interesting week, I'm sure, for many of you. Uh, you know, we had, if, you, if you've been somewhere else, uh, we had the elections this week, just if you didn't know that. Uh, and uh, looks like there may not be a dance-off for presidency, so that's kind of disappointing to me that we don't have to, we don't get to engage that. So that was my hope as we tied that we could do that, but it didn't. Yeah, it looks like it won't, but... Uh, I have a feeling most people and many, uh, most of us are exhausted and tired of all the hyper-promotion and what I believe for division. But I also have a feeling most people don't know what to do about it. Exhausted. No matter if the person you voted for won, you're still Exhausted. Concerning the church and concerning what it means in culture, as salt and light as we've talked about for this many weeks, I think the culture needs an alternative, not an echo. We have an alternative mission. It's called the kingdom of God. And as followers of Jesus Christ, if we are neck deep in the divisions and the partisanship We as a church are in trouble. That doesn't mean we don't speak truth. We need to be speaking truth. I'm going to talk about that today. But there's a difference between that and how you go about doing it and speaking truth with love. So I'm going to talk to you today a little bit about a series I did a few years ago. I think it was 2017. Did a series called The Watchman. And Now, I'm not going to try to preach you eight sermons today, because for some of you, I'm sure some weeks it feels like I try to do that. I'm going to try to avoid that today, but crunch it down to some things that I feel like maybe this Sunday, November 8th, 2020, might be of some help, especially in the context of our series of Salt and Light. Again, called The Watchman. In the great ancient cities, there were walls built around so many of those great cities. And, of course, some countries have tried to do that, too. Uh, But the watchmen had the responsibility to protect the ancient towns from surprise attack. Or they may announce someone coming. And, you know, we see a messenger coming or something along that line. They They may even announce, probably would even announce, the dawning of the sun. Wouldn't it be cool, instead of a rooster, we just get this trumpet blast all around the city? And for some of you going, I don't want to be awake then. So no, that would not be cool. But announce the dawning of a new day. The possibilities of that new day. To announce it. The city could go to sleep at night knowing what? There were watchmen on the wall. 
In our culture, we have those, right? We have it. We hope it's from our military. We hope it's from our, those who we voted into place that are trying to do right things for everybody. Those who are our, our, our first responders from our police officers to, our, to those who work in our hospitals, to our firemen to, to, who work in healthcare and our firemen and all those that they're on watch. That we can go to sleep at night because they are on watch. And it's hard on watch. I've worked, how many of you have ever worked graveyard shifts? And I, I worked a lot of them when I worked at Alumax. I don't like working those shifts. I really don't like it because you're up all night and it seems like your life is all out of cycle. I'm just glad there are people who've chosen to be up all night, to be on watch. Scripture talks about it. The Hebrew word for watchman, I can't pronounce it, but I can tell you the meaning of it. It means to lean forward, to peer into the distance, to observe, behold, spy out, wait for, keep the watch. To lean forward, to look. And you're doing it not necessarily because you hate what may be coming. It's because you love what you're protecting. There's a difference. When you do things for hate, it destroys you. But when you do things for the love of, you still have the vigilance. It doesn't change anything. You may even have more stick to it and grit because of the love. Not because of the hate, but because of the ones you love and you're protecting. In the Old Testament, Scripture talks about it, you know, the watchman, and we see it, because I talk about it, many of you know, if I had time today to talk about that, in Ezekiel, where, 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 where uh, God is speaking to Ezekiel, and, and especially chapter 33 is where the Lord called me into ministry, and I won't go into all that today, it's a story into itself, but the watchman. So the Old Testament talks about it, but it moves into the New Testament. And, it, and, and you know, they had watchmen on the wall, and there was prophets as, rock, as watchmen. But then you move into the New Testament, somehow another God begins to call all of us to be watchmen. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear, let them hear. Be self-controlled and alert. 1 Peter 5, 8. To be on watch. Because the enemy is prowling around like what? A roaring lion, but he's not a lion. There's only one lion. But he'll sure imitate the lion. So in the New Testament, we're all called to be there. Oh, yes, I know we've got junior hires and senior hires and college and students in here. Let me tell you, you're on watch. You're part of this. We're not just somebody watching for you. Matter of fact, you better learn how to watch because you've got devices in your hand that if you don't know how to watch, you'll get eat up. We'll talk more about that next week. Most of us would agree we need to be on watch. But most of us don't know what we're called to watch. 
Because we're not doing the work many times to know how to discern, how to know. So what I want to talk about today is maybe what are some of those things and what they can't be. Sometimes you've got to learn about what they're not to learn what they are. So let's read Isaiah 50. Again, I'm not going to go. I, I, won't, I could go back into detail, but I'm not going to. But Isaiah 56, 10 through 12. For the leaders of my people, the Lord's watchmen, his shepherds, are blind and ignorant. They are like silent watchdogs that give no warning when danger comes. Like greedy dogs, they are never satisfied. They are ignorant shepherds, all following their own path and intent on on their own personal gain. Come, they say, let's get some wine and have a party. Let's all get drunk, then tomorrow we'll do it again and have an even bigger party. You know there's people who live like that. Saying to the, 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 Israel, the leaders of Israel, you're blind, you're ignorant, you're mute. You're blind, you're ignorant, and you're silent. As the old saying goes, none are so blind as those who are not willing to see. You can't make someone see or pay attention to something that he or she does not want to notice. So we've got to be real careful getting in our bubbles, whatever that is. Because if you're intent on not noticing what's staring you in the face, Christians, all people, if the people on the wall are blind, we are all in big trouble. That includes in our homes. That includes in our culture. I believe after this political season, there should be a lot of soul searching. But there probably won't be. But there should be. And I'm not going to try to point out what all I think. I'm just saying anything like it's we've gone through over the last few years, even the last eight months, there needs to be a lot of soul searching on everybody's part. But if I don't want to see it, because if I go soul search, if I go, I may see it, and I don't want to see it. Because that very well may mean I have to change. So I would rather stay blind. But a spiritual watchman is one who has been uniquely equipped by God to see and discern. Often they see things that others don't even see. It's a unique ability. I've said this many times when I gave my life to the Lord, and I'm not even talking about in this context here, but just personally. 
Some of the things that just shocked me was that when I was born again, I did not know laying dormant, if you will, until empowered by the Holy Spirit. I had eyes to see what I couldn't see before. I have ears to ears what I could never have heard before. I had a tongue that would speak in a way with boldness and with anointing, but hopefully that never could do that before. Because now it had laid dormant, and now I was willing to use it. Now I look at my own life because here's the deal. You'll never grow in your faith unless you're willing to allow God to shine a light on you. Not on others, no, 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 on you. Because growing is not about me diminishing someone else. Growing is about me becoming fully who I'm supposed to be in the first place. It's not about me figuring out a way to keep you pushed down and make you smaller. Now I look bigger. No, that's not what this is about. This is allowing allowing the light of the Holy Spirit to say there is no dark. You will not dwell in darkness. I mean, I don't mean in darkness as in culture or darkness. I'm not even talking about night, but as in this heaviness. You will not have darkness in you. You were once darkness, Scripture says, but you no longer are going to be darkness. You're going to be light. But you can't do that and stay blind. Even if it's a kernel of truth that somebody shows, well, if it's just a little peep, but it's still light on your life, you need to walk towards it. It doesn't have to be a spotlight. It may just be one of those little bitty flashlights to get on a keychain, just hit that little thing. It may be that small. But if it's truth, and then God begins to allow you, when you get out of this clutter, God allows you to see things you never saw before. One, one of the great things about salt and light in, in this concept is that God allows you to go places. It's the reason I put on that, or we need to be engaged and influential. Is that you'll have feet to go where you had never gone before. And when you're secure in who you are, you're willing to be around just about anyway. Watch Jesus. Watch where Jesus walked, who he ran into, who he would go into their own. How can you be in there eating with those people? They're sinners. I think Jesus is pretty secure in who he was. He was secure where he was headed, and his values and everything didn't change when he went into that room or that room or that room or those people or those people. He was still the same person every time. And the only way you can get there is to let the light shine in you and then ask for discernment to see. For the good of who? You? No. For the advance of this alternative thing we talk about, the kingdom of God and the good of others. But you can't do it if you're willing to stay blind. Just can't do it. And ignorant or spiritual discernment. God was saying to the Leaders of Israel, you're unable to perceive what is going on here. It goes back to a little bit to the blind, but then it becomes even more. It's, 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 the Hebrew word here is yada. 
It means to become thoroughly acquainted with, to recognize by sight, hearing of certain signs, to know accurately. To acquaint yourself. We talked about it over this last series through the greatest and a little bit the dialectical thinking where when we love the Lord with all of our mind, it is this kind of concept as we're willing to reach across and figure out what someone else is thinking. What are, why, where are they coming from? We talked about a few weeks ago about context. Ha, ha, find out where they're coming from. But to reach across on an idea and to think about it and to research it but most of all, ask for godly wisdom. You may find out there were things you've been hearing all along and all of a sudden it's nothing like that. Is that possible in this culture? But we as Christians of all people have got to be able to think this way. We can't be the echo of divisiveness when we're called to be to the ministry of reconciliation. It just doesn't line up. I love what Charles Spurgeon says on this. Says, Discernment is not a matter of telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it is telling the difference between right and almost right. As I've heard way back in the day, the enemy doesn't mind you getting close to the truth as long as you never get to the center of truth. Because he would sure love to give you some kind of counterfeit that's almost there. It sounds just right. It's been packaged just right. Mute. Mute. Are silent. They are like silent watchdogs, give no warning when danger comes. They love to lie around sleeping and dreaming. In my interpretation, the commentary says, Israel's watchmen saw the work of the enemy, but they said nothing. It's not that they missed it. They saw it. But it didn't benefit them because what was their, it was for their gain. It says here, it was for their gain. I see what's going on, but, it's, but, but this over here is for my gain. I know often we say in our culture we don't want to offend anyone, and I think there are times that you just need to hold it to yourself. I agree with that reason. I was talking about being divisive just for divisiveness sake or being all those kind of things. I get all that, but there are times we can't be silent. When my family's life is at stake, when our culture's life is at stake, when individuals that may be far away and may totally disagree with me, they are still at stake whether or not they know it or not. We believe it is because there is something greater for them. I know we live in the PC culture and I know we live in the cancel culture and I know, we, I know that, we all know that. 
And often it happens, and unfortunately, when people are only armed with emotionalism, and this happens in husbands and wives too, so don't think this is a new thing. But when you're only armed with emotionalism, I'm going to shout you into the corner, and I'm going to shout you long enough for you to stay, not just quit talking, but I mean silent from now on. I'm going to silence you. Now, for these guys, they were silent because it benefited them financially. Because they had a party to go to, right? (laughs) But that's not often why we stay silent. We stay silent because of fear. There's a way to package it. There's a way to say it. There's when to say it, how to say it. Believe me, but there is a time to say it. Because I don't think anywhere when I find in Scripture where Jesus says it's okay to speak, when you speak truth with love, that you just allow someone to stay in their dysfunction. That's not helping them. I hear people say all the time, but the reason I'm hanging out with them because they just let me be me. But what, what if you being you is pretty messed up? What if it's extremely dysfunctional for you and your family and our culture? What if? I get it why you want to hang out with those people. I get it why they, I get it. But that doesn't mean they love you because they're not speaking truth into your life. So it, we talk about it here often. You know, many times people say, well, you're, you're not tolerant because you don't agree with me. I've said this over and over. We can live in the tension of love and disagreement. And my greatest example, if, you, if, you've, if you've had children or you have children, is when your child is rebelling, you know what it's like to love them fully on in that moment and from now on and before, but it's more on the surface at that moment, and still disagree with them. You know you can live in that tension. So when somebody says you can't live in that tension, you're full of it. You're full of, you need to be full of Jesus. That's what I'll say. You can live in the tension. You can fully love someone and fully disagree with certain positions. Watching is not a spectator sport. It is decisively active It will require deliberate effort, whether in prayer for some, or overt action, or both. But watching is not like going this afternoon and watching the Cardinals sitting at your home watching. It is active. So what are some of the walls we're responsible for watching? Well, the first one, I believe, is your personal and individual transformation. That's your first place. Number one is your heart and soul. Psalm 423, and I don't have it up there, so don't, don't look for it. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. 
It doesn't say if you get around to it. It doesn't say, hey, it's a good idea. It says, above all else, anything else you're doing today, whatever else you're doing, above everything else, guard your heart. We'll buy security systems for our house. We'll buy rings and put them on 14 different places in our house. We'll buy them for our cars. We'll buy them, we'll, uh, you know, identification. All of, we'll protect everything else. We'll put big dollars out there, right? But we hardly ever put effort into guarding our heart. When Scripture says it's above everything else because out of that determines the course of your life. One translation says, from it comes the wellspring of life. The very essence of who you are comes out of how you guard your heart and soul. And it also, I'll just say this to you, and you've heard me say it before here, it also tells those who are close to you how much you love them. that's not fair I didn't come here to be fair how you guard your heart tells those who are close children spouse all those how much you love them because if you're on the wall going I'm guarding my heart you're not guarded because of something you hate out there it's guard you guarding because of the ones you love there very foundation. Nehemiah talks about when he was building the wall, and you can go and read Nehemiah. I love it when he says he stationed people along the wall. I think it's Nehemiah 4, I think it is. But he says, stationed people along the wall. He says, therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest parts of the wall at the exposed places. Wherever you're the weakest, you really need to be on guard. And you also need to be identifying the exposed places. We don't like identifying the exposed places because what does that mean? We're going to have to do something about it. What are your exposed places in your life and your wall? You need to identify them, and then you need to go to work to do something about it. Craig Rochelle says, you're only as strong as you are honest. You're only as strong as you are honest. You don't have to be honest to me. First, be honest to God in your prayer time and repent, change, but identify first. And you need to be with people who will help you identify. Because why this Lone Ranger stuff just doesn't cut it. The first place we all need to look is right here. If all of us in this country today made a decision to look here first and to be honest and to be willing. What a great country we'd have. We've got one already. But, oh, man, what a great country that'd be. The other place we're called to guard, I believe, is our home. I just say this to moms and dads, and, again, I know this doesn't always affect everybody in here, but it doesn't. You could be an aunt and uncle to nephews and nieces. Can they count on you to live this thing out? Are those people who know you the best, are you helping them frame the reality in their lives of who Jesus could be? 
when they watch your life, are they getting a sense that, man, this thing is right? I may not be there yet. And it may take me around the mountain 43 times to get there. But I'll tell you what. I know somebody who's got this thing figured out. And it's real. They don't need to meet 10, even though that would be awesome. They really just need to meet one. And if it's in your home, (laughs) I've heard over the last few days, and I understand it, you know, some of the commentary on some of the channels coming out going, well, I'm just so glad now that if we're changing presidents that or our polit- these politicians, you know, my kids have been watching this all these years and, you know, they're going to start mimicking this and all this kind of stuff. I, this is what I got to say to you. And, I, and I, please hear the context of what I'm saying and, hear what, and don't hear what I'm not saying. Let me tell you, mom and dad, yeah, they may be right. You may disagree with all that, but I'm going to tell you who your kids are watching. They're watching you. They're watching how you deal with it. They're watching what you say at home. They're watching what you post. They're watching how you deal with all this. They're watching how you deal with all the other circumstances that come into your life. That's what they're watching. Because life is always going to have people you could watch and go, oh, that, that, I don't like the way they act. And my kids, then you're right. But what they're getting their cues from is you. So one of the walls you've got to watch is in your home. And that means any of you, any home you're in, all of us are probably in a home. Not everybody, maybe, but I think I'm looking around here today, almost everybody in here has a home today. I don't mean that. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just saying some people don't. But what I mean is your circle. You're on the wall. You cannot be blind, ignorant, or silent. The other one, you're on the wall of your workplace or your school, that place where you're already engaged and influential. You're there. Whether you're a teacher or you're a lawyer or you're a contractor or you're a fireman or you're a business owner or you're a homemaker or you're janitorial or you're CEO, it doesn't matter. There are people waiting. And you may not know it, but they're watching you and they're hoping Maybe they don't even know it yet for you to represent Christ to them, to represent him. I think more people hope this is true than you know because there's great hope in what we teach if it's true. Now, I believe it's true. You're here today because you, I'm assuming most of you, because you believe it's true But there's people that you would never think hope it's true that you run into that really do hope it's true because there's a way out. There's something to do. There's a way to go. The last one is the walls of our society. I'm going to read Isaiah 58, and I could read the whole thing, and God has taken these to the woodshed, as we say, back down south. But I'm going to start in verse 6, and he's talking about the type of fasting that we should do. Because they're complaining, well, we do all this, we do all that, we do all that, and we don't ever hear from you, where you are, you got, he kind of deal. And God just says, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen 
to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, and when you see the naked, to clothe them and to turn away from your own, and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then, 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 then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. How would you like to know that God's going before you and he's got you covered? He's got my rear guard. Who's got your rear guard? Oh, I know who's got my rear guard. You're talking about highly favored, and we talk about that often here. If you want to live under God's favor, if he's going before you and he's got your rear guard, it's amazing what can happen when he's surrounding you like that. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer, and you will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your light will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in the sun-scorched land. Amen for that, right? And will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will build, rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundation. You'll be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. There's a lot to that. And Dr. Dan would do an awesome job preaching that part right now, but I'm not calling him up here. What I will say, though, is being the restorer of broken things Your light will shine. You'll be like a well-watered garden. There will never be a time when fruit does not come forth. So many of us sometimes wonder what we should be doing, but we spend so much time on things we can never change. We spend way too much time watching the news or on social media on things that we cannot change at all and not putting our hands to things we actually could change. Become the champion of the people. We have a responsibility. We cannot leave to the government what only the church should be doing. The church does best. I'll be honest with you, and I don't mean this as a revolutionary thing. I'm just saying it. The church does best as a counterbalance to the consuming power of the state. We represent the king of kings and lord of lords, but we work within the system. Obviously, many times we are the most proponent of what we're trying to do. But the point is this, though. We cannot. We get too close. We lose our power many times because we get too watered down. You got to be real careful. But I'm all for working with the state. Don't misunderstand. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But that's not where our hope is. The poor, the unwed, unwed pregnant teenager, injustice. It's on our watch. The millennials and the Z's are on our watch. Jesus never settled, though, folks. Be sure. Jesus did not settle for some cheap imitation, though, to ignore, again, like I said, the dysfunction of where people may be. Even the lady who was going to be stoned 
for adultery. He stepped in. But what did he finish with? Go and sin no more. Of course he stepped in because he wanted her heart healed. He wanted her to know she had a, he had a plan for her. He knew her name. He wanted her to know that. But he also knew that if she, if she didn't understand to go and sin no more, this was still going to be a mess. Our role is not to point the judgmental finger. But to love each other and be honest and point people to Jesus. And to point them with the same thought that, hey, I'm on this journey with you. Sure, God has transformed me, but he's still transforming me. He's not done with me. I'm not standing up here so I can make you feel this small. I'm with you on this thing. Our motive has to be to love others. And scriptures we talked about a few weeks ago. When can we help someone else? According to Jesus, we are qualified to lovingly correct only when we have no log in our own eye. Doesn't mean we don't recognize things. Doesn't mean sometimes we don't need to step in and help in situations and we recognize bad things going. I'm not saying that. But at the end of the day, to stand in judgment in the sense of, hey, I need to be healed. Many years ago, 2008, I worked out at a gym, and uh, I know it doesn't look like it, but I used to do that. I looked, looked better in 2008, had more hair, all that kind of stuff. But I went to this place, uh, Fitness Forum there in, in, in Chandler, would go in there. Most, a lot of older people would be in there in the morning. I mean, when I say older, like 80s, 70s, and 80s, and mostly they didn't go there to work out. They came there to sit and talk and drink coffee, which is okay. It's about relationships with them. They had the silver sneakers, so they got paid, you know, okay. But one guy there, many of you have heard this story before. His name's Harold. Harold was the guy that walked around to everybody else who was working out and talked to him. Okay, he was that. Jan remembers him, and he would flirt with all the women. He would do that, too. And, but when he found out that I was a preacher, and he found out I was more conservatively bent, obviously. Not obviously, but I am, and you're talking to me. And it was in 2008 during the elections, and he came to, he'd find me almost every time we'd go there, and he'd call me Preacher Man. I, he, I don't think he ever knew my name. He just called me Preacher Man. And uh, so after the election, and he had been kind of gigging me a little bit on, you know, he's voting for uh, now, of course, President Obama, but at that time, uh, Senator Obama. And he was always kind of, you know, kind of doing this thing and trying to get at me, and I'm going, yeah, yeah, doesn't get at me. I don't really know what they're trying to do. But it's fun. And all in fun. Well, the Saturday after the election, uh, I, I was working out early, and I was going to have to go help some people move. And so I was just trying to get in and get out, not have to talk to anybody. And they had these two big rooms where the free weights were and where all the machines were. And, and I'm in there in the free weights, and, and I look out there, and I see Harold coming. So I'm trying to time it. So when Harold goes in this door into the, I'm going to go out that door. I want to talk to Harold. He's loud. I mean, he, he had this hard of hearing because he's really loud. He talked all, really, all, anyway. He saw me. Hey, preacher man. 
I said, yes, Harold. So he comes over there and he goes, how you like this week? I go, well, it was, you know, our democracy, it all works good. I said, you know, and he knew I was voting for John McCain. And he goes, hey, I got a question for you. I'm going to pray. He said, because I knew his kids were all conservative. And he says, hey, I'm praying the prayer at Thanksgiving. I said, okay. He said, let me run it by you. I go, okay. (laughs) So he starts talking about President Obama being elected and how bad George Bush was. And he's just going on this whole rant. I'm sitting there looking at him going, Harold, stop, 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 stop. And I said, Harold, you know a lot of that's not true. He goes, oh, it is true. I said, no. I said, here's the deal, Harold. I said, the one thing for sure is, I hope, you know, even though it's not the way I voted, I hope President Obama is the best president we ever had. That's my hope. Because it's best for everybody. And I said, I said, but here's the deal. Each president and administration is connected to the next one. I said, over the last 40 years, we've killed about 50 million babies. Every president. So many of this is all connected together. Some good, some bad, it's all connected together. But I do know this. At the end of the day, my call, whoever is in the White House, they're going to be my president, and I will call them my president. I will pray for them and want the best for them and for our country. It's just never going to change. And I said, but let me tell you this. What I know I'm called to do is to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love my neighbors myself, and that's not going to change. I said, in 1986, Christ came into my life. And he flipped my life upside down and he changed me and gave me an adventure for my life that I never even imagined. And I said, nothing's going to stop that, no matter who it is. And I said, that life is available for white, black, brown, whatever color, it's available for all of them. And I said, I'm just telling you, Harold, I have great hope and I have a smile on my face. And he looked at me and goes, he had tears rolling down his face. He goes, you've changed my life. I said, Harold, I don't know. I said, I'll tell you what, Harold, I got to go help somebody move. So I walked out the door. I walked out that door. He steps out into the weight room, I mean the machine room, and yells across the room, hey, everyone, there goes the next Billy Graham. And I just kept walking. Hope defeats hate. It always does, always will. And when the church is functioning the way it should, when it's, when it's healthy and strong, there is nothing that competes with what the alternative life that the church brings through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's great hope. There's great hope. Josiah? I think I'm done preaching. So won't you guys come and lead us out of here with Waymaker, if you don't mind? And uh, I think it'd be a good way to end today. I am hopeful. I'm not perfect. Sometimes I get sidetracked. Sometimes I get in the ditch that I should get out of pretty quick. But I want to say this. I think everyone wants hope. And not everyone looks to the same place for that hope. Some look to 
potentially who they vote in, is their greatest hope. I think it's a part of it. But my greatest hope, no matter where I was in the world, would be the one and only hope, the bright morning star. I've been getting up early in the morning, Jan and I sitting out drinking coffee and looking to the east and seeing that sunrise going. There's a new day coming. With all the possibilities. Still believe that. Pray for our country. Pray for President Trump. Pray for, and it looks like, uh, to be President Joe Biden. We'll see, I guess, over the next few days. But I can tell you, I want the best. And I don't care who's in there. I want the best. And I say I don't care. I shouldn't say it that way, but you know what I'm saying. I just want us to, to be the church. And that's what I can control this week is how I'm going to act and how I'm going to speak and how I'm going to live and how I'm going to encourage no matter who it is. Had some guys help us last night at Floor and Decor. And it was close to closing time. And I told you, and I love the fact that these three men, man, they, I know they were ready to leave. They were sitting back at the pro desk. They were ready to go. And I come in with this big exchange and having to get everything in, out of my truck and, and get a new deal. And those guys were awesome. And how they worked, and I told you, I don't care who they voted for. <laughs> I don't care in some ways. It was just good people trying to do the right thing. And I think there's way more of that than we realize way more way more let's be light and as you read Isaiah 58 he gives us a way to go about doing that won't you stand with us let me pray we'll lead out of, leave out of here in song Oh, we thank you today for your word that gives us hope, that calls us out, identifies us to look at our own lives. But Lord, you have worked across the centuries from, in people that didn't even know they were being worked through, and you worked through people who knew they were on a mission, specifically called from you. Lord, I pray that we are that people that want to be people of discernment. That not of ignorance, but of knowledge, of wisdom. People who have eyes to see what we couldn't see before. See before maybe others see it. Not because we can say, hey, look at what I see, but because of our love for others. And to stay quiet when we need to stay quiet, when it's appropriate, but not be silent when it's time to speak truth with love. Let us be people of hope. Thank you today, Lord, for the folks in this room and online as we represent you. And it's the name above every name that we pray, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.